Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of season seven, half one, <laughs> eight. We'll say the best bits of 2022. Oh. Yeah. Oh, best bits of 2022. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The season seven one will come in the next, the next oh, half. Oh, yeah. but it's like still the second half of 22. We this just the, say 22 This anyway, is the second, second half of 22, first half of season seven. Gotcha. Maybe okay. We should, maybe we should switch the seasons to... Yearly, it makes year. a lot more sense. I think it's just because we started in the middle of the year and just kept it that way. Well, it's uh, yeah, here we are today, though, and we're doing it. Either That's way, it. it's going to be the best of a whole bunch of books that we've That's read right. recently, which is uh, which is good news. I reckon this is the first best of for a while where I had, I reckon I had 16 or 17 that could have gone in the 10, I reckon. Jesus, there was like a painful, like. Painful, painful too. That didn't make like normally. There's a few. Oh yeah, that's yeah. good. I could have got in, but they, these were like an actual painful. Nice. Wish they could get in. I had a very clean ten. I picked okay, out. Yeah, nice. I picked out which books I really, really liked, and I yeah. landed on ten. So I'm like, oh, all right, perfect. that fits well. Oh, then I think good. I forgot one, so it was actually eleven. But that's right. <laughs> I always do that. I always <laughs> forget not... forget a book. <laughs> it's not that hard. I, we might get. I haven't seen your top ten. We might get to the end. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh fuck, I forgot one. Yeah. <laughs> I probably will. Probably will. Uh, we're going a bit early this this time. Normally we do a late one, but we're just just going early on the best of. Yeah. So we're we're uh, having well from now on be five and one. Is that right? Yeah, five and one. Five and one. So five months on, one month off. Mm. We need to have a little break occasionally. Let the brain tick yeah. over, and you're going to be a parent, and <laughs> that's it. All that. We both got projects brewing. Projects brewing. You've got a that's physical right. one. I've got a. Actually, also a physical one. It's a very different type. <laughs> very different type of physical. Um, but uh, it's kind of good that we didn't have another four books because I would have had 20 in the top yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, that's not good. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll be back first week of Jan. For um, launch, jag- launch juggernaut. Launch month. Launch month, yeah. Launch but month. launch month this year is actually death month. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, yeah. <laughs> we'll get, we'll maybe get to that. that makes, might, might, might make sense later. Yeah. Okay, should we get stuck into our top 10s? Honorable mentions. There's a few honorables. As I said, there was two painful ones that I wish got in, but you got them in, so that's all right. A few that on the sort of 14 to 17 realm. Let's sprint. I thought there's some good stuff, but very specific for a very specific time and place. Probably same as what to expect when you're expecting. It's something you'd only ever need at one very specific time, and otherwise, it's no interest. I thought effortless, uh, old mate's follow up to essentialism. I thought there was some good, good stuff without being amazing. When the Pink Man, the old uh, one in the pinks uh, book, I thought that was the first section was I thought it was really really good about the time of day and when you wake up, what type of person you are, what type of tasks you should do at what time was great. But then sections two and three kind of fell off, fell off a bit. The Pink Man with every book it's sort of fallen off a fair bit. <laughs> Just to be pretty brutally honest, we can be in this episode. <laughs> we've we've interviewed him. He was great to speak to, and yeah. his books. Collectively, are awesome. His TED talks are awesome, but yeah. it's a it's a downward spiral at the moment. We've got his newest one, The Power of Regret. Do you reckon it'll ever get in? Probably no, not. <laughs> say right now. Uh, I've got no honourable mentions, so no, I'm just no, straight into it. I've just got a, a clean ten, so we'll uh, we'll Let's get into it that off in a second. Okay, so for me, number ten. <laughs> Where'd the name go? Um, Brené, Atlas of the Heart by Brené Brown. Phenomenal book, man, because especially lads like us, I think how you define what's going on inside is probably sort of signposts how you actually experience things mm. and that's how it goes with emotions. If you have only got three words like most of us, oh, I'm happy, sad or angry, mm. then you can't really actually get the full texture of what the human experience is. So, um, Brené, she does it really well where she actually defines all the different human emotions we've got. So, a bit like an atlas of the heart and it sort of expands by expanding your vocabulary, you sort of expand how you, how you feel and experience life, right? Nice. Yeah. I think I, I definitely agree with that. I found it more, well, it was very much like an atlas or like a, almost like a dictionary of like, here's a word and here's a definition. I, know, I didn't feel a book. It was just... I think that's just because I thought it was something different. I think yeah. if, if you knew what it was going in yeah. and that's what you wanted, then it could be perfect. Yeah. Mate, so, you know, new ones, awe, wonder, confusion, curiosity, interest, surprise, joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude, foreboding, joy. I've never used that one. And uh, <laughs> tranquility, relief. There's a lot of uh, a lot of new emotions you can sort of cherry pick out from. Which one's foreboding joy? Foreboding seems bad, but joy seems good. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Mate, n- my number 10 
is coming higher in your list, which is a big surprise to anyone who's listened to the podcast for a long time that you've got this uh, one higher than me, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Number nine for you, mate. The Catalyst by The Cheeseburger. Did this not get into my... Yeah, this is probably the one that I oh, this one you This should have been top, <laughs> top seven for me. Oh, really? I forgot about it. Yeah, I thought, this was, I thought this was really good. Very well yeah. written in terms of like, as far as non-fiction books go of like, here's a study... You know, there was 30 college students in Group A and then 30 college students in Group B and all that stuff. As far as that goes, I thought this was really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. He's a phenomenal author like that and his other book as well. Um, Contagious. Contagious. Yeah. I've had a few too many reds last night, Ash. My, brain, <laughs> my brain's not really sparking up that really quick at the moment. But he does, he does give you a framework as good as anyone where he's got this story, uh, quite a tight story to actually explain him what he's trying to the point mm. he's trying to get to followed by a kicker which is like straight to the point as well so he's a good author yeah so that first book you mentioned contagious what two or three years ago and then we interviewed him i feel like he was like he was on, on a train i remember just at some point like here in a train or yeah. an airplane or there was something going on and he squeezed us into his schedule which was nice of him but uh, i don't know if we had his full attention no <laughs> but he, but good author um this one this one was all about uh uh, helping people change their mind and not by pushing harder because if you try to just push someone to change their mind, that's pretty much the worst way to do it because they'll just dig their heels in and become even more steadfast and even more strong in their opinions. This one was just being a little bit cheeky or a little bit strategic in terms of going around that and finding ways to help them change. And he had his, his uh, how many things here? Reactance, endowment, distance, uncertainty, corroborating evidence. So finding ways to, he says, release those handbrakes that are keeping them stuck to help them move forward. Lovely. Well done, uh, Jonah. Number eight for me, mate, was um, a fiction book, Tuesdays with Maury. Very... It's not a fiction book. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> it was a real story. Yeah. Ah, uh, sorry. It's a non-fiction book, but it's uh, it's a storybook. I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah you get, yeah, what, I get I mean. what I mean. You get what I mean. It's not, a, it's not your classic uh, category that we yeah. um, go for. So, a storybook, Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Olborn. And yeah, phenomenal book, I think... If you're ever going through any sort of self-pity or, you know, lacking some sort of gratitude or in a bad way, you read a book like this about an old guy in his 90s and he's um, having a debilitating illness and mm. he's, he's, every day he's losing more and more functionality of his body and sort of how he handled that with a resilience. It's like really inspiring, this book. And I think I was... Um, I've never really been in tears toward it at the end of the book, which this book had, had gotcha. me in, which um, is rare. So, yeah. we're all going to die as we're going to find out at uh, <laughs> <death> launch month. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all going to get old. And um, Maury did it gracefully. And yeah. we can learn in that way and learn how we can deal with any sort of setbacks and illnesses from from the great man. Yeah, I agree. It, uh, it was one of those honorables that was sort of in my 13 to 16 range. I remember reading it three years ago and I thought, oh, yeah, this is okay without being amazing. I read it a second time. I thought, yeah, no, this is pretty good. Yeah. Maybe the closer I get to death, the more I enjoy it. Yeah, I think, yeah, potentially. I think um, it's always in like English, you know, English curriculum, isn't it, at schools? Is it? It's a massive book in terms yeah. of sales and-, and well, It's uh, probably like, if you're an author, the best, you can get in the New York Times, you can get into what, the best probably thing you could ever get into is English curriculums because <laughs> they're all like killing it on Goodreads, right? And, That's true. And you're locked in for a long time because yeah, curriculums <laughs> don't change. They don't innovate. They just stay the same. Yeah, you can sell a lot of books that way, that's for sure. So, my number eight, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Uh, I thought, oh, you know, we've read Digital Minimalism, Indistractable, we've watched The Social Dilemma. I was like, oh, we've seen enough of these. Technology's evil, social media's bad. I thought, oh, I'm not going to enjoy this too much because we've read it all before, but I thought this was the best at a lot by a long way. And I thought he just, because it was probably broader, like there was one section, technology's bad, one section, social media's bad, but then nine or 10 sections on a whole bunch of other stuff, just general health, how you raise your children, the nature of work, environmental stuff, cultural stuff. I thought it was just a, a lot uh, more measured approach, I think. Yeah, I really liked it. So, you're eight, number seven. So, yeah, really good. Oh, that was, oh apologies, mate. No, no, totally. Really it's weird. It linked really well there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a, one question in the book. Do you want to be... Well, you've got people who just like respond to pings around and then it's like this just going around like a robot just responding to what your phone says you should be doing and that phone's obviously programmed by a whole bunch of programs out there just trying to hack your brain basically. <laughs> That's right. Or you could go the other way where you're not um, getting pinged around like one of Skinner's pigeons. Instead, you can be a bit like Mahali Chick sent me high as painters, <laughs> all right? living in flow, uh, painting Sistine chapels and doing all that sort of stuff is probably a better way to live and the way to do it is just put the phone down or get rid of it. Yeah. No, I think it's good. And I think as well, probably on a more meta level as well, I think basically 
all the book was was probably like a chapter which was like a summary of a book. Like he had his one chapter was a summary of Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi's flow. One book was basically a chapter of uh, Indistractable by uh, that dude that we, near yeah, AL that we had yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one basically was a, a chapter on a book called Free Range Kids by Lenore Skenazy. But basically, like it, it didn't feel like that. Do mm. you know what I mean? Like it was all it felt good. Yeah, it was, was a good. A, read. I thought it was well well written, even though it was basically a book of well, uh, like summaries. It was, like, it was like wandering in his brain. It was like a quite a well spaced out book, which is probably does fit the the genre of like not being in a rush sort of thing, like we are mm. these days a little bit. Yeah, totally, mate. My number seven, which was uh, your number nine, uh, the Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And the subtitle was something about why politics and religion divides people or something. I was like, oh, man, this is a, this is a Jonesy special, politics and religion. This is not up my alley at Jonesy all. Jonesy 22, <laughs> one of my politics phases I was getting yeah. into for a bit. So, I thought, oh, I'm not going to enjoy this. But I didn't think it was really about politics or religion much at all. It was basically how the brain works and, I, and how morals and ethics sort of evolve in different cultures, in different people, how you kind of work out what's right and wrong. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, I really liked it as well. It's a bit of an obvious point that um, you can't, you know, you can't just change someone's mind so easily. Uh, you actually can do it a bit more strategically through his his other metaphor, which is the rider and the elephant metaphor. There's a guy actually, side note, a mate from school. I haven't seen him in ten years. But he was at the wedding I was at last night, and he had a picture of an elephant on his phone. It was because uh, our book. Really? Yeah, yeah. From oh. the elephant and the rider, and he's he's that's what he's just you know his mantra now. Oh, nice. Anyway, for that elephant and the rider, you can pull the. As the rider, you can pull on the elephant as hard as you can. You can smack it up. It's the elephant's not just gonna it's just gonna keep on moving. Yeah. So you got to get to the uh, the elephant, which is obviously emotion. It's the the back part of the brain. Um, you're not relying on the on the rider, and that's how you can actually, if you speak to the elephant of people, that's the only way you can influence them. Yeah, that's good. I know that um, we probably ripped the riding the elephant metaphor and claimed it as our own. It's ours because we ripped it because Chip and Dan Heath in uh, Switch they ripped it. As well, well and so claimed his own. And then so. Jonathan Haidt ripped it in this book. He ripped yeah. it from his own other book, which yeah. was The Happiness Hypothesis. Which I think all, the first place yeah. it came from. Yeah. Well, I think they all ripped it off Daniel Kahneman. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the roads lead to Daniel Kahneman's one dense book. Almost always. <laughs> Almost always. And everyone just rips it off and rips off the ripper offers and, and so this, forth. Mate, this book was one book. Very rare that I'd say a book is too short. I always say, no, this is too long. You can cut more out. I think... Yeah. He had like three parts. I think that sh- they could have been three different books and he could have added more fluff. Yeah, he could have got a few more sales like that. The, the holiday approach. Yeah, that's right. Split it out yeah. into as many as possible. Okay, we're moving on to number six for me now. Yeah. This wouldn't have gotten in yours. Probably an honorable mention potentially. It was a. Uh, it was one of the two painfuls that would have been in a eight to ten in most seasons, but there yep. was too many. So, it was just outside. Yeah. Well, number six, the cold start problem for me. Um, very specific problem to solve and... Quite interesting for people who just want to know how sort of Uber gets to be Uber or Netflix gets to be, or well, Netflix mm. isn't really network, but any sort of, <laughs> anytime you got any sort of network effects where uh, the value of, of the actual system grows with every new person that gets onto it. So, you know, Uber, pretty useless if you just got one, one driver, <laughs> um, pretty useless if you just got one rider, but yeah. the more drivers are on it. The, the more valuable it is for the riders and the more riders, more value for the drivers. And then with that, you have sort of exponential growth. That's so, the right. moon is the is probably the... Uh, <laughs> Just keep growing. The, that's Yeah, the, the keep growing is Metcalf's law, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, you think of the... As well, like social media, imagine if there's just you and two friends are on there. You're probably not going to stick around for too long. It, it gets better the more people that are on there. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that it's. But at the same time, it's like, well, okay, if you're trying to build something like that, that's only valuable once a whole heap of people are on there. It's going to start with nobody. So how do you actually get that how started? How do, do like, how do you get from nothing to actually the point where it's worth being on there and then keeps yeah. growing? And that's that's what this book is all about. Yeah, and it's phenomenal. And it's got a few strategies, pretty like really useful strategies and. Because anytime you've got anything, if you can inject a bit of network effects, they're super, super powerful. You get that tap into the virality that, you know, increase the number and sort of have uh, automatic marketing that you don't have to, you know, pour cash into. (laughs) Absolutely. Mate, and so number five for me. Mate, this wasn't in your top 10. What's that? Yeah, I think it, wasn't it? No, it comes up for me later, four. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, okay, we're kind of aligned there. Leonardo da Vinci by that comes back for me as well. Walter Isaacson. I'll get it higher. You got a high- what? Yeah, where's that? Have I cooked this? It comes later. Oh, sorry. Okay, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've totally lost it. So my number six is coming later. Yep. 
My number five. That's what happens when I organise the notes for this app. We'll <laughs> no, leave that in your no, court. Normally I do them, but you're, I, I, I was ahead of you this time. Mate, where does where does that come up for you? Oh shit! Yeah. Okay. Um, number four. <laughs> really cooked that one. Number four. <laughs> we're up to four, mate. Yeah, that was so one. Four for me was six for you. Was how innovation works by nice. the, the red man. Yeah. I'd never read any of this bloke's books. He's got a lot of books. I'd heard him a bunch of times on podcasts. I'd listened to him. I thought it was some good stuff, but never been compelled to jump in and read one of his books. But uh, I thought this was phenomenal. I thought it was, yeah. I'd put it as Yuval Noah Harari level of like analyzing a whole bunch of history and pulling out some points of like, here's the, how innovation works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like how you could get that complexity of all of history and you, you, a pretty compelling argument of actually what how innovation works and most of the time, we just do the opposite of what we should be doing if we want to... Because without innovation, we forget like how important innovation is, right? It's just mm. like too obvious to be true sometimes. But mm. like without it, we pretty much have nothing here. So, people did use these forces to you know bring about the world we are, have today. It was pretty wild, some of the stories that he pulled out about how the light bulb was invented six different times all at the same time in six different countries by six different people who none of them knew each other. And they all kind of at the same time got to the point of developing the light bulb, which was uh, kind of crazy. You normally just hear of the Edison was a man that did it, but a whole bunch of other people did it pretty much at the same time without any knowledge of Edison as well. Yeah, pretty much across the board as well, right? Like that heroic um, inventor is just a, it's a myth. It's not a true thing. Like the Wright brothers, they just didn't do it. There was all the innovators beforehand and it was gradual and obviously the winner's right history. We didn't hear about the other 20 or 30 the failures before the Wright brothers or Edison or anything like that. But, you know, that's how it works. And there's a whole bunch of other things that is really inherent in innovation as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Is what What's his, uh, what are we going to do next with the Ridman? Well, what other books has he got? Is I don't he... know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We should check him out. Yeah. I know he had, um, I think there's a lot. We should check. Yeah, we should we'll check, check it. it out. We'll see yeah. what else he's got yeah. going on. We'll go offline for that one. I reckon <laughs> that one offline. <laughs> Mate, so my number four, uh, Games People Play by Eric Byrne. Super weird book. It's really small. I was like, oh, this would be an easy one. It's only like 120 pages or something. It would be a quick and easy read, but it took a long time to read. It was a mm. real battle to kind of understand what the hell he was saying. But once it, I kind of worked it out, I was like, oh, this is actually phenomenal. Yeah. All he's saying is that we all have within us a parent, an adult, and a child. And basically all the things that we say, we're operating as one of those three things. Mm. Yeah, it's phenomenal. When I think about it now, it's like reading it, I didn't like it. When, yeah, but it's one of those books like after you read it, you, you the whole world you see through the lens mm. of the book you just read, which is 100% the case here. Oh, yeah. I remember for weeks, just everything that was said, I was like, oh, that's such an adult way of saying things. How can yeah. I... Uh, or or that, that person's like acting like such a child. How can I use the parent to bring them back to an adult? And yeah. it was good though. But like, so one example is he says, uh, I think there's just a made up one. An adult would say, it's sunny outside today. Just a plain objective statement. A parent would say, the UV is high today. You should put sunscreen on. So it's a very like you know controlling way of just saying the exact same thing, which the adult said it's sunny outside. Or the child might say, "Oh gosh, it's really hot outside today. I hope I don't get burnt." Looking for a bit of attention, looking for a bit of coddling, looking for help from a parent figure to give them the sunscreen. Uh, just different ways of saying the exact same thing in three different ways. Definitely, and it crosses where um, some things work, like a parent-child interaction works. If someone's acting like a parent, you can act like a child, and that's fine. Or a child-parent, and same for uh, adult-adult. But when you start getting parent-adult, that's when things mm. start crossing because if someone's going in all parent mode on you, it doesn't mm. feel good when they're going controlling sometimes. That's it. If you say, oh, it's really sunny outside today, which is just the adult, and then I come in and say, oh, Jonesy, the UV's high, you should put some sunscreen on. That's mm. a real parent thing to do and you'd be like, what the... Yeah, fuck off, mate. <laughs> it's a real pang of like, <laughs> I just had an adult conversation. You're coming in to try yeah. and parent me? What the hell? Yeah. That's where the it kind of kicks off into... The games territory, which is the games part where uh, people are underneath the surface trying to pretend like they're being all adult, but really they're being either parent or child and trying to manipulate something in some way to get some kind of below the surface satisfaction out of the game. Yeah, well, I think like those, the games they he has at the end pretty much all could have a book in themselves, I feel yeah. like, <laughs> or a full course, right? Yeah. Oh, like definitely. In playing games and for marketing and sales or whatever you might be trying to do because it, it'd be bloody powerful, some of them. Oh, massively. I remember the, the one game that following his style that I sort of thought fits into his methodology is the game of does my bum look big in this, which uh, 
is on the surface, it's like an adult looking for an objective opinion. Like, does my bum look big in this? But really, it's kind of like they're saying that almost as a child seeking reassurance from a parent and not even in the fashion sense, but even in the other places, like in the workplace saying, oh, I've done my report. I'm not sure if, uh, if I did this correctly is kind of just, it's not saying, did I do this correctly? It's saying, um, it's like, can you parent me? Can you support me? Can you say, oh yeah, good job, little Billy. You did a, you did a really good report. Mm. You weren't objectively asking if you did a good report. You were just looking for reassurance. Yeah, yeah, totally. I like it. And if your boss, I guess in that, if your boss is acting like a parent and what you're best off acting like a child, if you're trying to play a <laughs> yeah. game with them, right? That's so, right. That's right. If they come in and try to parent you, then if you try to adult them back or parent them back, it it's, not gonna be, it's not going to be good, yeah, is so it? so you've got to just take the mentor, mentoree sort of route. That's right. Mate, so my number 10, your number three. Mate, this is wild, isn't it? Dave, <laughs> um, well, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, David and Goliath. I've been hanging shit on the Glad Man for, for years well, now. yeah, six and a half years. years yeah. Is this book different to all the others or is it the same? I think maybe you've just got to go back and read the other ones and see... Maybe you missed something the whole time. It's finally clicked. <laughs> Fuck, you've been dreaming of this day where, where I just uh, capitulate. But um, yeah, I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a phenomenal book. The way he is like a really good story. Obviously, the intro is hard. Like the whole the whole oh, idea yeah. is everything. The way he just does that take of the the David and Goliath story. Um, before reading this book, everyone just you just assume that. Goliath sort of got lucky. Sorry, David. David just sort of got lucky. Yeah, he threw a stone and that's it. But mm. through reading this, you think, shit, hang on, Goliath didn't stand a chance against David. <laughs> um, and a phenomenal metaphor, right, for, for yeah businesses. Yeah, big time. You just see the big imposing giant and the squ- weak, scrawny little shepherd. Yeah, and you think, well, this is a clear mismatch. But when you actually look at it, it's a clear mismatch the other way. One's just standing there with a spear, and one's got basically a, a, the equivalent of a modern gun. It's yeah. like, well, he was no chance. That's it. And I think for me, I'm probably just like, um, it is just adding to my current narrative, which is really helpful because you're the David. Well, doing it, <laughs> trying to do a startup um, in it, something I'm sort of really new in, like a tech world. And there's definitely Goliaths out there with much more resources in the same space. But, you know, previously being in companies like that, you realize when you're in meetings and the bureaucracies and how Mm. slow things move and, um, you know, waiting for consensus from everyone and all that. So, it's sort of like makes you have confidence being a little little David. You can sort of (laughs) through speed and if you sort of enhance speed as much as you can, it's a strategy to actually win and beat a Goliath. So, yeah, that's right. Time will tell, mate. Goliath might just actually clobber me with his, <laughs> his club and just send me to Mars or something. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's a real possibility. We'll wait see. We'll find out. But yeah, I think it's yeah, it's just obviously a completely different look at strengths and weaknesses. And I, um, I don't know what I was... I think for me, the intro, like the David and Goliath, that's a 11 out of 10 or a 12 out of 10. It's so, so, so good. It sort of trailed off a little bit. There was some good stuff, but there was some also some some yeah. average stuff after that, which is why it was probably not as high for me. I like the um. I feel like sports coaches could could really read it and get a lot out of it. Oh, so yeah. if you're Australia, who suck it, well, you know, at some things like if I think soccer, for example, if you yeah. think back to the World Cup, you know, just watching Australia play the uh, other teams, you're like, geez, reading this book, you might <laughs> actually rethink the whole strategy. Like you rather than just like you know, be so defensive and just all the way back, you just put a mm. full court press on. on yeah. so- who does that? Mate, yeah. I should be coaching. <laughs> you probably risk a 20-nil defeat, but you might, you know. Yeah. Who knows what will happen? You just sort of scare them a little bit. <laughs> You're worth a crack, I guess. I get a whole bunch of speedsters on the field. That's what I'd get. Just no one can defend. Just just people who can just run really fast <laughs> and just tack the ball. Mate, for, I reckon once, yeah, once every four years, I'd get into soccer a little bit. I wouldn't be setting any alarms or staying up late, but I watch a little bit, and and sometimes you, sometimes it's just boring as. But sometimes like, oh, this is there's something to this game, and you can see the strategy element of it. Yeah, I don't think I'd get into it too much though, but uh, maybe they should be reading David and Goliath. Maybe they should. Yeah. Number uh, what are we what are we doing now? Number three for you? Yeah. So that was your three, yeah. And so my number three, four thousand weeks, Oliver Berkman. Um, mm. Mate, you hated it. Yeah. No, I wasn't a big fan of this one. Um, this is number three and. And could have been higher in most years, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Well, this probably falls in the category of time-saving, uh, yeah. kind of like productivity books. Like, what what basket is it? Yeah, it's kind of in like the one thing, getting things done. Yeah, that eat that frog. It's it's in that category for sure. But it's a, I think it's almost the opposite approach. Mm. This is saying that those ones are all about time. Is this uh, 
basically there's like the conveyor belt. This is a metaphor he uses a conveyor belt, 24 little conveyor belt boxes pop along. You've got an hour to cram in as much stuff as possible. If it goes out the other side and not much got crammed into that hour, you think, oh, well, that was a wasted hour. Yeah. And so the goal is to get as much stuff in there as possible. But he's saying that sometimes it's just not the best best way to do it. Sometimes it means you're optimizing for the wrong things. It means you do the stuff at the bottom of the to-do list because it's really easy to cram as much into that box as possible. Sometimes, I, don't, I think I just read it at the perfect time. Mm. was on the honeymoon, just got married, starting a family, had a heap of enjoyable hobbies. Yeah. Realized that it's, you don't just have to cram as much in as possible. That there are other things you can put in there that might be more valuable. Yeah. We'll go for quality over quantity is this whole book, right? Yeah. I think you can apply it to work as well, um, mm. which was kind of like there were some really good time management stories and, you know, the sand and the rock and the pebble and that story that he tore, tore to shreds and realized that, well, sometimes you just got too many big rocks to get in that jar yeah, that you got you to work out which rocks go in and which Reduce ones don't. Things. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. No, interesting book, man. Yeah, I think I think it's it's probably like it is applicable and, and all that. Um, yeah, for me, it was just, it's almost assuming that, I think I said in this episode, it's almost assuming like it's that, all that um, conundrum of like work to live or live to work, mm. you know, it's like, but sometimes they can be the same thing. It's like the work part is, 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 you know, so I guess it's maybe a different problem that isn't solved in that book. Yeah, you know? I don't know. I think you've done it without thinking about it. I think you've gone, you've gone hard on getting specific big rocks in and some big rocks aren't in anymore. Oh, okay. Do you yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah, probably. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I think maybe you just, maybe you were taking it too literally. Yeah, probably. You thought one big rock's work, one big rock's other stuff, but maybe you can actually do it in the same. And, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, mm. probably the case. Right, number two for you. Stinker for you. you not, not, in, not in my top 10. Nah. Nah. So, The Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. Insanely researched book. Absolutely bizarre. Um, talking about like, he's probably, because he's a billionaire, he's probably got a, a bunch of minions, an army of 100 <laughs> doing all the legwork and he's just claiming it all. What, what law of power is that? Probably like 33 or something. Um, but yeah, all of history to actually condense it down into the cycles of, of superpowers back in the day starting, I think, it, you know, well, you know, for example, the Dutch starting there, they actually had the central currency of the world and like today, you just probably assume it's always been the US, but mm. it wasn't. It was, it was originally the Dutch and they went through a cycle where of a lot of innovation and then they printed too much money and then all of a sudden, um, gone, you know, cliff notes here, then the currency collapsed. But at the same time, you had a rising superpower of the UK and they got a bit ahead of themselves trying to expand all over the world and finance heaps of wars and print money to do all that. Boom, they had a fall down. US uh, obviously is the analogy leading up to where we are today. So the US have had the reserve currency for such a long time, are uh, printing a wild amount of money mm. that uh, if you just extrapolate the, the debt and what it means to the US, you could say the reserve currency status might be at risk. And at the same time, we've got another emerging superpower, which is China. The bad news is it's um, it pretty much says <laughs> war's going to happen. <laughs> we're, all, we're all fucked with that. That's right. And Taiwan, China's, it does talk about that, gives a lot of context around why China believes Taiwan is a part of China and what that means and it means we're all fucked <laughs> it could Basically. be Nukes. could be potentially yeah have you ever googled um the nuclear radius like if it drops x i have not i did it once <laughs> bad idea <laughs> after reading this book probably no i'm in a good spot man oh you're right yeah, yeah. sunny see it'll stay sunny and see maybe not sunny but i think it'll be, <laughs> it'll be pretty sweet if it drops yeah pretty dark let's get off the new let's get off the new topic yeah i think the uh i don't know what like if you think of say uh what was the mat really how innovation works that I really liked taking a whole bunch of history and boiling it down to something pretty concise and then take this one, which is you could argue is the exact same thing, but one I liked and one I didn't. I think that's just a, I don't know. Maybe the topic. Maybe, Maybe the, the topic. topic. Probably the topic the way it's done. I think um, it was also just so big. I think I was just intimidated by how large the book was. Yeah, and it's, it was epic. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a bit like maybe it's too epic that yeah. what it's trying to do. Maybe, yeah. And like, yeah. The innovation like, one is. It's good, but it wasn't on that same level of yeah, epicness. Of just Maybe saying the rising superpowers and the <laughs> collapse of the whole system and all that. Go out and add to the gold narrative. Yeah. <laughs> Go out and buy gold. That's all right. Uh, mate, number two for me, uh, The Talent Code uh, by Dan the Man Coyle. Mm. Um, the one downside is he talked about, oh, there's this revolutionary new discovery. It's called myelin and myelin dictates 
all skill and this insulates your nerves and wraps around and the more you do this, the more it wraps around it. I've never heard of myelin in any other context. Yeah. And so 15 years later, it hasn't really taken off as myelin the next big thing. Off, no. But if you narrate out the myelin, the actual like the core of like how do you actually develop skill and learn stuff and develop talent and breed talent in other people, the actual core of that info I thought was phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I think that's been the theme of Astro this year yeah. is really that um, taking proper learning books and actually applying them mm. to things, which um, I guess we'll get to in a second as well for another one, right? But yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, definitely. What do you? He had the three rules of deep practice, which was the stuff we focused about. There was another section on like coaching and teaching, and how do you actually inspire other people to want to do the three rules of deep practice, which we didn't get in the app, obviously. But I thought that was phenomenal as well, just trying to light that spark that mm. becomes a kindling and then becomes a log and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's like it totally reframes struggling. Like, you know, when you you, mm. you you shit at something and you struggle and you're like, you're kind of frustrated and you just want to speed through it. But it's actually that struggle is the thing, mm. how your brain's wrapping um, Astro's favorite word, myelin, around <laughs> everything, wrapping it around your whole body and your body's just pumping myelin everywhere. But that's that's what's happening. And and you double down on that, don't you? You, go, you look for that struggle mm. if you want to learn, right? Yeah, I went I went hardcore on there's this one piece on the piano that I remember and it probably ties back to that first spark about the coaching and teaching. I remember the first day in year nine at a new high school or like the first assembly and this uh music teacher who wasn't like there was a boring lame ass old like seventy year old lady music teacher who was really up herself, really, really good technically, fantastic, but just couldn't relate. Whereas this guy was like a, a bit of a younger guy, again, really, really skilled made fun songs for everyone to do and he, he played chopsticks which kind of or most people know chopsticks but then he took it to the next level it was like 12 different variations of chopsticks in 12 different keys from 12 different styles of music all yeah. with that same theme and I was like man this this is epic and so basically ever since that day in year nine I was like man I need to learn this one day and finally after reading the talent code I was like I'm gonna do it yeah so I bought the music it took me a fair while to learn it I'm still probably 98 percent I've got to polish up a few bits yeah, we'll put it. We'll put it at the end. Yeah, yeah. good one. Because I, I saw something pop up on the Google Drive, and I looked at it. This is a teaser. Everyone should listen to it. I actually, don't, I don't want to give it away because at the very start, I was like, "Oh, uh, chopsticks." Actually, <laughs> it was pretty good. And then, like, um, then I Which is, zoomed to the, the middle to see what, and it's just, it's pretty fucking impressive, man. It's sick. So listen, listen in, everyone. We'll, we'll put it at the very, mate. If if you say, uh. Maybe jank, copy paste, just at the very end, be like, "Oh, Ashto, that was that was really good." Yeah, <laughs> give, us, give us that. Give us like, a, "Oh yeah, that was amazing." Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe put it one of those. <laughs> what is it? What, what, what's the sound where it um? Oh yeah, we got. There we go. Put yeah, yeah, yeah. Put yeah. Oh, this one. <laughs> Maybe not that one. Um, yeah, no, it's good, man. I like it. So number five for you. I don't know. <laughs> Was Leonardo, uh, and number one for me was yeah. Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. Yeah, no, really, really good. Again, for that to be number five, it was like a that's a bloody strong, strong my, top. My five top for me. five were um yeah, no clear winner. I feel mm. like it's, I could have put any at number one, two, three, four, and five. Yeah, um, this is feels lo- not good enough for a number one, but mm. the five feels too good to not be a number. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> yeah. they're all they're all phenomenal. Eight and a half, nine out of ten books. It's yeah, five definitely. I think this is really really good. I knew everyone knows the Mona Lisa. I knew that. And I knew the uh, what's the other the Last, the Last Supper. Supper. Like everyone knows those two. And I was like, oh, he's a really good painter. Yeah. I kind of also heard heard stories. Oh, maybe he invented a helicopter or something like that. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool as well. Vitruvian man kind of knew. But then there's all this shit that I had no idea about. Like literally rerouting rivers. Um, engineering entire new cities from scratch, making war machines of how to chop a head off a horse and shoot the rider at the yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. Like stone statues. Yeah. Like he's just a a wild man. And then while while Walter Isaacson, I don't know how the hell he does it. We're talking someone in what the sixteenth century or something. <laughs> um how he drills down to their brain to the point where when you're reading it, you feel like you really get the person he's writing about. Mm. Like I feel like you do, right? For sure. He must have had a lot of researchers on this. Insanely, he would have had his. There's so much. Orient Dalio's army of minions yeah. probably hired for this one. I'd say so because there was so much stuff to go through. But there was all the the other stuff about like what I really liked was like it probably again ties back to that talent code idea of like how do you get? Obviously, he's a really good painter, but how did he like learn that to be that good? It was like going all the stuff that he did throughout his whole life, like doing like a sitting in a room and put a sheet 
over a statue and sketching the different shading and the shadows and the lines and then taking a going to the hospital and getting a dead body and chopping him open to see how the muscles work so you can draw a smile better yeah, right. like all the well, stuff that, that he did like no painter ever <laughs> and that's where like the um you know combining sort of different fields makes you more unique and probably a bit better than than mm. the rest because mm. he did combine all these weird fields like cutting bodies up to see how the muscle works mm. which informed his painting and then yeah. You know, that is an analogy, um, how the blood flows through led to his water canals and designing yeah. of hydraulics in cities and, you know, even structural engineering, you say that analogy is like, you know, as you go up a building or a tree or whatever, it, it's, you know, the sum of all the volume on the bottom <laughs> equals the, all that. It's just like crazy. It, yeah. When he gets so deep into an analogy and he can apply it to anything, he's just a wild man. Yeah. And obviously, then the other part is of that intensity of drilling down into everything was really the curiosity to do that in the first place i yeah. guess the the famous one he said is like he had a to-do list you know buy bread finish a painting describe the tongue of a woodpecker <laughs> just <laughs> one of the things to do that day yeah <laughs> insane so he's just an intensely i feel like if you saw him on the street he'd you'd know straight away this guy is something different because his, his gaze would be like it's nothing you've ever seen to actually look <laughs> and study something and um with that wild curiosity and his just openness to mystery 24-7 because yeah. to do what he did in his life, you'd have to be a 24-7 type of dude. Oh, yeah. You'd also think he was tripping, tripping, tripping out balls. big time. Because oh, he, he was, was having mushies in his um, <laughs> omelette, but they didn't know what it was. <laughs> there was something about how he would watch birds and see these types of birds, their wings flap down at the same paces up. These ones go down quicker. These ones go up quicker. Like, how do you even see that yeah. like physically? And then he was talking about how dragonflies, some wings are up, some wings... Are, like, how can you... Literally, how can you actually see that? But that's the level that he trained himself to. Insane. And, like, science caught up to him, um, like, mm. centuries later. Like, ever, we just had these scientific discoveries and it was just deep in his uh, notebook, even human anatomy and everything. It was deep in his notebook that's but he right. just didn't publish all this shit. Because yeah. he, he didn't... He wasn't working for external, um, you know, validation at all. He was just doing it for his own curiosity to the point mm. he could have, um, the Mona Lisa, he could have obviously sold it and earned yeah. money, but it was for him. He just, uh, he carried it around until <laughs> his last day he died and was That's constantly right. perfecting it, which is mm. really how he lived. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, phenomenal book, I thought. Um, probably should have been higher than five for me now in retrospect. You really sold me on it. It's, yeah, I it thought you liked it more than me almost I think after I, reading it. I think so. I, I think I, did and uh, probably just because it was like one of the first ones we did it's probably a bit of recency bias I'm looking forward to reading his other Isaacs and ones I think it's a good um because uh, I, I don't like reading like business type books before bed because mm. um, your brain's just run you can't get to sleep I feel mm. like Isaacs ones Isaacs and yeah. ones you, you can read in before bed so I might just like put one next to bed so I'd say yeah, look nice. at Einstein there hey yeah Einstein like next. a good one yeah yeah. Um, yeah we did Steve Jobs that was great Da Vinci was great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever one comes next. It doesn't bloody well. Because yeah. I, I remember before reading Steve Jobs, I was like, oh, I hate biographies. I don't know why I did. I just thought that I did. But after reading Isaacson, I was like, man, this is, fucking, this yeah. is sick. Yeah, he's good. Mate, so my number one, The 4-Hour Chef by Tim Ferriss. I wouldn't say it's a number one as in everyone go and buy it and read it. But if you have a very specific interest, I think definitely this is a great book for that specific interest. Uh, he frames it as like, this is a book to learn how to learn anything. And there's a part of that, but at the same time, it's really how to learn to cook. Yeah. I think <laughs> he tries to say that it's I'm bigger than I remember is, your um, cooking before this book. Like I remember you cooked me bacon and eggs a couple of times, which is really good, but it's just pretty just stock standard. Yeah, <laughs> probably um, nothing special. But yeah, were you useless before reading this? I never really cooked a lot growing up and it wasn't until I moved out where I had to force to but it was very very basic yeah. well it's very rare like at the, um, the, the baby shower uh, I was didn't eat that day knowing you'd be some, some of your um, the mac and cheese sort of thing you do yeah. or the, the beef brisket because I knew that was coming I was, was like coming. I'm just going to yeah, let yeah. it and you put on a, a good couple of kgs after you were cooking but, <laughs> that, was, um, that was probably that was probably a good culmination because there was like 30 people multiple dishes like across multiple days yeah. you had to try to get everything going for different dietary requirements like it needed a whole bunch of meats a whole bunch of sides a whole bunch of salads yeah so it was yeah, reckon it took to, for you to get there because you actually followed it to a t like what do you reckon of that cooking or of like learning to get learning to get to that point uh i think it's probably cooking is probably an easy one to learn than say piano uh maybe piano is similar like you're learning and doing it as you go whereas at least cooking Every time that you cook, you get the food at the yeah. end. So and it's you're not like you're going to cook hard. anyway. You're just doing exactly, it a bit more consciously yeah. with your time. 
Yeah, so I think it's just reckon? a constant, a constant evolution over yeah. over months. I'd say, but like a twenty, maybe like twenty hours to get to a point where you're you're half decent, maybe. Yeah, I thought he. So what what Ferris does in this book is very well structured. He's like, okay, here's like the, I forget how many, but here's like all the the fifteen different specific skills you need, um, to cook anything, and then here's like, the first dish which takes these two skills and puts them together in an easy way, and then the next one's a bit harder and adds a new skill in. So mm. the way he structured that, I thought was fantastic and it's it's a good like how to get from an absolute novice to like you can actually yeah. cook stuff and then go beyond that yeah i think i'm going to do it man once um at one stage in the next five years or something <laughs> <I remember laughs> that gives you confidence you're going to do it in it i think i might do it man at one stage I, in the next last, five years. I think last time when, when we read it you're like we must have done it like july and you're like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'll, I'll start next year i was like oh, i don't know about that and now you're like oh, i'll start next in five, five years <laughs> I mean, in five years, you'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it one day. Seven years, probably in the next decade. Probably <laughs> yeah, by the time right. I'm 50. <laughs> yeah. Mate, how did, just on the, like literally, uh, like cooking, I, I suppose it's kind of easy at the moment, you and Corey, mm. you guys can just work it out. I feel when there's more mouths to feed, there's going to be a bigger requirement to know how to cook, isn't there? Oh, yeah, we can learn how to whip out the old app of Uber Eats and get it done that way. That's another. That's true. I suppose it is. Yeah. I think, I th- nah, I there'll, like- be, there'll be a bigger requirement to cook. You can't, you can't just Uber Eats. It's just not a good long-term solution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there is that theme for me this season that sort of evolved or probably if you zoom out as well, in a game of tennis I really liked. Talent code is a good combination with in a game of tennis. I think for our chef was a good specific one as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, we go through like some of the books that come up. We, we try and have a, di- a lot of diversity in the books obviously, but... Um, it is probably reflective of the theme of either of us are going through a lot of the books, like what it's centred around. And this is probably, you know, one of them, a few, mm. few extra learning books at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Through. I don't know if there's too many. I've read a couple other real duds that yeah. won't get in. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll have to find something the next level. That's it. I don't know if it's possible. For me, it's recently a lot in the business business realm. So there's mm. probably centre of gravity, probably a few more of them coming out, like related to startups and, and all yeah. that. Um, and probably for both of us, man, is a, a bit of a theme coming as well in January as you flag yeah. the start. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Hopefully, it's not reflective just, of um, <laughs> something that's going to happen. To us. That's right. I remember. Uh, it must have been a couple of years ago when you were like, "Yeah, we'll, we had Juggernaut Month, which sort of emerged out of nowhere." And then just on an episode, you're like, "Yeah, let's do Launch Month in January." And we thought, "Okay, well, what do you need at the start of the year? Launch Month." Most people want a bit of health, health and fitness stuff. Most people want a bit of money, personal finance stuff. Like, what are the main? Um, news resolutions people make how can we kind of form a month around that and this time it's we've done that but it's all somehow to do with death as well so <laughs> launch month is also death month yeah so we're gonna call it death month yeah we'll call it death month and i like it yeah we've got death we've got how not to die we've got how to not die alone we've got die with zero and then a couple of weeks later we've got life in half a second which is actually about death yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah it's a uh launch month is coming in terms mm. of all those categories we're talking about but it's also death month yeah, yeah. mate how exciting well, every year I think um, you'd probably assume that books get more boring with every hundred books, but it, I don't. I still think it's not mm. the case at all um, for me. And it sounds like you've got a, an extra wind recently of just mm. um, new books and probably a higher rating on average. You've, you're starting to drops as well. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there was a, there was definitely the last three or four top tens we've done where I was, I was struggling to get to ten, whereas this was like there was seventeen trying to squeeze into ten. Yeah. So it was hard hard to get to ten, but it, for the opposite reason. Yeah. Well I think there's some phenomenal books coming in um the yeah, well the next year, yeah. year to come. Five yeah. months of just mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking right. mayhem, man. That's right. So we'll be back for death month the first uh first yeah, first week of Jan. Well, that's it, man. So we've got having a month off now and I'll tell you what, if you're missing the content, um there's another whole beach mm. piece, piece of content. And you could probably say it is the very best. This is the best of the last six months. There's also the best of the best stuff we've ever done. And that's all put into the one book, The Shit They Never Taught You. Mammoth task putting that one together, wasn't it? Mm. What have we got? 115 books in the physical books, 147 different books into the one audio book uh, where we cover basically, as you say, mate, the best stuff that we've read, 
combined into the specific categories, 32 different lessons, meta lessons across nine different categories, bit of philosophy, bit of personal development, bit of personal finances, bit of habit stuff, bit of science stuff, bit of history stuff, bit of everything. Yeah, it, it's going uh, going really well, man. And the audio book as well, it's got bonus content. So, a bit bit like this app really. Well, well, it's more structured, obviously, the audio book reading it out, but then a bit of uh, juice at the end and extra books thrown as a bit of a cherry on top. So, yeah. Uh, Go out there and get the shit they never taught you um, to fill the fill any sort of void that you have with what you will learn in That's December, right. or even more. Go out and get buy it as a gift. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good gift. Now, obviously, Christmas coming up. If you celebrate Christmas, I think the shit they never taught you is a good uh, Christmas gift. The physical version because uh, it looks like a pretty epic gift. It is to yeah. physically uh, sit on a table somewhere, someone unwrap it. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty hefty. It looks good. It's good quality. Pass the parcel. <laughs> have it in the middle of the pass the parcel. That'd be an interesting one. Or if you want to go a gift for yourself, it's a. I think it's a perfect way to start well, off the new sure. year. So yeah. yeah, the shit they never taught you. Uh, buy it wherever you buy books and audio books, or the shit they never taught you. dot com. Love it, man. So what's that? That's it. That's it. And now we got. Um, my uh, the other cheeky reason I want to learn chopsticks was that my grandmother, who got me started on piano at the very start, kind of forced me into it, which was uh, the best thing ever. Mm. Absolutely hates chopsticks. Uh, like if anyone ever goes and plays chopsticks in a house, she'll come and give you a real whack, yeah, um, shit. metaphorically and physically, because uh, she just hates chopsticks. So I want to learn it to be like oh, it's chopsticks, but on steroids. Yeah. So I like it. This goes out to you, Grain. <laughs> That's it. 